0: Augustine, the uh, great bishop uh, from around 400 A.D., and the renowned Christian theologian, uh, he tells the story of a comedian in his day, and this comedian would go around these different venues, and he would do his routine. He was very good at kind of you know getting the crowd up and laughing about his, his silly uh, insights, and Uh, One time he was giving this his uh, he was doing his act and they would do this in this outdoor theaters It was really really something but he was doing this act to a crowd and he said if you come next time Next time I'm playing. I'm gonna tell you what you really want. I'm gonna tell you what you all really want so time goes on next time he has a gig there he he's, uh, goes in, and it, the crowd is is very big. It's actually bigger than normal because it had gotten around that he was going to tell them what they really wanted. So people are really excited, and he goes through his routine, you know, and it's going on. And he draws it out, and he gets to a point. And he says, "Here it is. I'm going to tell you. This is what you all really want. You want to buy low and sell high." <laughs> <laughs> you want to buy low and sell high. And this answer met with thunderous applause, Augustine says, because at, this, at, this, at the same time, everybody in the crowd kind of realized he got us. Everybody in the crowd identified, you know, that's what I really want out of life. I want, I want a great deal. I want the best deal I can out of life. That's what I really want. They, they, they felt... This kind of collective consciousness—they all got it at once. So he got this great applause. Well, we're going to be reading a an account this morning of uh, something very similar—a similar event. Only this is a, a, a Jewish conversation, so it's phrased a little differently. And the conversation is about what is the greatest commandment? What's the most important commandment? And it's a way of saying what's it all about? What's the goal? And it's really an arresting conversation uh, on a number of, in a number of ways. We're going to look at it. That's what we're looking at this morning. So let's get to it. Please stand, if you can, as uh, I read for us from Mark chapter 12. And you can read along in your Bible or you can read along in your bulletin. This is going to be Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 34 of the ESV version. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he, that's Jesus, answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Please. So, a question that this passage presents to us is why is it after this point that no one wants to ask Jesus any more questions? Why is it after this exchange that we, ha- that we reach this point where the crowd is silenced? And, the, and these are the leaders of Israel. This is in Jerusalem, this teaching that Jesus is giving here in Mark 12. Why is it that at this point, you know, no one wants to ask any more questions? I mean, what's the big deal? I can understand it if after some exchanges that Jesus has with some, with some people, you might not want to ask a question. Like some of them are pretty negative. where Jesus might come down on someone, right? And, and you might say, whoa, after that, I don't think I, like, I want to ask Jesus a question, right? But not this one. I mean, this seems rather pleasant, doesn't it? Pleasant enough. Seems kind of positive. So why would it be at this moment now there's some kind of break, there's some kind of, uh, something happens where no more, any, no more questions, because it's, it's kind of positive, so that actually is the point. Just, just to give us some context here, that, so we can understand this is something of a climax here, this exchange. You go back and you look at all the conversations that Jesus has been having from the second half of the bo- book of Mark up till now, Chapter 8, where Jesus decides he is going to Jerusalem, and it's really part two of the book, of their two-part book called The Gospel of Mark. And, he, and from, from chapter 8 on, Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem and starts traveling with his disciples. And if you look at the conversations that are happening in chapters 8 through 10, what you find is Jesus correcting his disciples, and then correcting his disciples, and then correcting his disciples and in other words, he's critiquing what they're saying he's saying you're you're you you misunderstand about evil spirits the reason why you have problems with with evil spirits why you, you can't handle it is because you misunderstand them and and you your whole attitude is wrong about being great you think about greatness in a certain way but you're not looking at greatness in the right way you're looking at greatness in the wrong way and you misunderstand riches. You have this idea about money and wealth, and it's wrong. You're looking at things the wrong way. You're, you're, you're misunderstanding wealth and riches. You're misunderstanding marriage. You have the wrong idea about marriage. He has to correct them about marriage. And then the next thing is, but you do not understand children. Like You do not forbid children from coming to me. No, no, that is wrong. Do not stop kids from coming to me. Me and kids, no. Don't separate us, and so you see, time after time after time, he's just offering corrections to them, and he says, "You really, you really don't understand the Messiah." Then, he gets to Jerusalem, in chapter eleven, and what happens? Now he sa- he starts on the Jewish leaders, on the leaders of these different uh, groups and sects. He says, "You really do not understand taxes." You, know, you, you have to change the way you look at taxes because you're not looking at it the right way. And boy, you do not understand the resurrection. You got completely wrong the way you're looking at the resurrection. In fact, you don't even know your Bibles the way you're supposed to know your Bibles. He actually tells them, right? And you sure do not understand me. So all of this was correction 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 let me adjust your attitude here let me see show you how you're wrong there suddenly someone comes along a scribe no less and says something right to jesus like how often does that happen It's kind of a rare occurrence like somebody says something right to jesus and you look at his response people were getting used to him judging motives And then verse 32 verse 33 um, jesus does not go into what i what i like to call autocritic cruise control you say what is that what is autocritic cruise control autocritic cruise control is when you know you're driving along you just press a button you don't worry about the brakes you don't worry about the gas you just sit back and you deliver your criticisms right it's like you're wrong here you're wrong there you can be corrected here you know you could improve there how many of us ever slip into that mode I do I do I notice that and I get into a kind of mode of talking It's like let me tell you where I where you could be corrected especially as parents I know we have some parents especially if you have young children right how many of you know this that you start to correct their, especially when they are very young, right? There are so many times you have to correct them. It's like, no, no, you can't do that. No, no, don't, no, don't touch that. No, and don't do that. No, you're, no, no, that's not right. So you, so you get to a point where they come to you with a question and you're like, no, 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 I don't even care what the question is. The answer is no. How many ever slip into that? Know anything about what I'm talking about? Okay. Okay, that's what he doesn't do. And this is why I love Jesus, because you can see him here. He never actually gets into autocritic cruise control, never does. You can see the way he interacts with this man as with others. He's still listening to what the person's saying. He's still being sensitive to what the person needs, right? He could have found, if you look at verse 33, he could have found fault with what this scribe said to him, couldn't he? I mean, I could find fault when he said it. I'm sure Jesus could. Like, for example, you know, he changes the quotation. Jesus, when Jesus says, here's what it's about. love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. It's very personal. He's actually quoting Deuteronomy here. It's getting very personal in the quotation. Your heart, your soul, your mind. The scribe changes it to more kind of philosophical. The heart, the soul. You notice that? The mind, he changes it. Also, I don't know do you think that the scribes attitude is slightly superior here in the way he's talking about Jesus the way he's talking to Jesus like you know let me tell you something I don't know maybe that's whatever the point is that Jesus does not say to the scribe here let me dazzle you with where you could use some improvement doesn't do that does he instead he says You're not far. You are not far from the kingdom. You see, he he understood he was still all about what was needed rather than what he could give. Jesus is still being more concerned about what the person in front of him needed more than what he could give. That's what makes a big difference between Jesus and me. And so he says to the guy, you're not far. You've got that. He, he, he looked at him. He saw, you've got something there. You've got that. You've got it. Pursue that. Go after it. You're not far. And this is especially noteworthy because, as I said, this is a scribe. And you want to know what Jesus thinks about scribes? Just read on in the chapter. If you, I encourage you sometime in your Bible, just read on the rest of the chapter. You find when Jesus comes to scribes, he talks about them as a group. Man, he is scathing. He is brutal. If I was a scribe, you know, and this, and this was my guild, to hear what Jesus says about scribes as a group, he is, he is very hard on them. But not this guy. Okay? He would not dare bruise this reed. He would not dare quench this wick. Instead, he, he approved what was excellent in what the scribe was saying. What is it? What was it that, that arrested Jesus here? What was it that silenced him, made him change gears the way he did? Now, it's good to ask that because the answer to that question is the same as as the answer to the first question I asked, what silenced the crowd? They're actually the same answer. What silenced Jesus is the same thing that silenced the crowds. Because look, it was after this exchange that no one dares ask him any more questions, right? No one dares. So what is it? What is it that caused the leaders, the very leaders of the nation of Israel to lose their stomach for any more questions? What was it? Well, the scribe's question, which is the commandment that's first of all? It's sort of like getting at what that comedian was getting at, right? What's the heart of it all, Jesus? What's it really all about? What's the goal? And this is Jesus' answer, if I can summarize. This is it, he says. Here it is. Here's what's the heart of it all. God is someone to be in love with. God is someone to be in love with. Love with all your heart. Love with all your soul, all your strength, all your body. Love, 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 love. It's about a love affair. And when he said that, something something rippled through the crowd. At that moment something dawned upon them en mass what he had been getting at in all these different things he'd been doing you know what he'd been getting at when he was clearing out the temple what he had been getting at when he was teaching about marriage all of this it, it suddenly clicked right at the same time in the crowd And, you know, this happens sometimes in public speaking. It's really cool when it happens. You can sometimes almost feel it. When a whole group of people realizes something at the same time, at one moment. And here, this is what happens. They all realize this at the same moment. It clicked what Jesus had been getting at all along. You know, if you were going to prioritize the commandments, you know, there are uh, other commandments. You could obey with your feet. You could obey with your hands. You could obey with your lips. But this one would take your whole self, the engagement of your whole self, and it presupposes an affection between you and God. It presupposes that there's, there's this, what Jesus seemed to have with God, this adoring relationship with him. That God was not a law, actually. He was not a principle. He was not a political end. He was not a means of good conduct. And he was not far away. And they realized this is what Jesus had with God. This is what he has been talking about. And in the next moment, they realized that they did not so that whatever question they would raise whatever issue they would bring up whatever point they would try to pursue with Jesus it would all come back to this it would all come back to this issue this underlying issue did they know God this way did they love God did they know that God loved them and they did not. And so anything that they would raise, that lack would be shown in their question. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. So very simply today, beloved, we should let this same Realization settle on us. On all of us. Because we have different issues in our lives, like work and, and with issues with family, issues with relationships. And we have are, are we are we able to realize, which I think this passage is asking us to realize, is that it all really is about our relationship with the Lord. It's the issue that underlies all these other issues. Right. So if you're here today, and let's say you're here today and you don't really know what you believe, or you, you, you know, you're interested, you've been talking about Christianity, you come here, you've been thinking about it, maybe you're visiting with somebody. This, quest, this passage is asking you a question. Have you ever thought of God as someone to have a love with? Have you ever thought that was what God was about? Someone to, that there was a love affair with? you ever thought of God that way? Because some people, some people maybe even here today, if you really saw things as they were, you'd see that you hate God. You hate God. Now, I know that sounds kind of offensive to say, you would, you, you would say to that, you know, what are you, crazy? You know, I, don't, I have nothing against God. I mean, I may not be kind of loony like some of the rest of you. Like, I don't come here and, like, sing songs and, you know, get up regularly on Sunday morning. I'm like, I'm not, not wacko, you know. But I have nothing against God. Look, let me tell you something. When I was, uh, when my kids were young, okay, and I was, came home, from uh, work, you know, they were always kind of climbing all over me and you know, got on my lap and it's kinda like, you know, those cartoons where you you're in the cartoon and you see what the character sees in the cartoon. So, you know, like a wolf looks at a sheep and he sees a stake, right? And you see it and you see what the wolf sees a stake, right? Or a robber looks at a bank, a bank building and he sees Bags of money, right? And you're looking at it, you see the bags of money, that's all you see, right? Well, I'm convinced that when I when my kids were young, you know, they looked at me, they didn't see me, they saw a kind of candy mountain, <laughs> right? And so they're always climbing, it was always like, Get me, Daddy, let me be on your lap and let me climb. And you, it was always like I was some kind of summit, you know, that's the way I felt. But well, let, me, let me tell you, imagine I came home from work one day, imagine I come home from work one day, and my son Thaddeus, he sees me come home into the room, and he goes into the other room. And so I follow him into the other room, and when I get into the other room, he goes to the other side of that room. I, and I would say to him, Thaddeus, what's the matter? What's wrong? And then imagine he turns and says to me, I have nothing against you what I have nothing against you you know what that would mean friends that would mean there's something wrong <laughs> that would mean there's something abnormal going on right it would, maybe we need some kind of family counseling or something so for you to say to God I have nothing against you but you don't desire fellowship with him like you don't want to know Him, you don't want to be close to him there's something wrong in that relationship there's something abnormal that's the wackiness that's what you have to realize that's what Jesus is saying here if you don't desire fellowship with God (coughs) you don't want to pursue him you don't want to know him you're like the people in the crowd okay so this is the question If you're here, you don't believe as we do, that's okay. You still gotta let this passage ask you that question this morning. Do you understand God the way Jesus is talking about God here? Now, for those of you who are here who know what it is to have a love with God, who know what it is to have God love you, you, do you need to realize that all the situations that are in your life right now are really a matter of your relationship with him? that that's the underlying issue of the issues because you know we're facing different things like what are the, what is the issue that's really starting to weigh on you now okay we're entering tax season right so out so immediately recognition over there yes yeah, so there's this sense of dread that starts to come on you right with tax season It's not only the hours and hours you're wondering how much of your time of your life this is going to take preparing your taxes. It's like what's going to happen at the end? How much are you going to owe? Especially maybe if you had a good year last year, right? So there's this sense of dread coming on. You think, wow, this this is just an issue in my life. No, it's not. Do you know what Jesus said about taxes? You go back and look at Jesus. You know what he taught about taxes? He said, you know what taxes are really about? They're about contemplating how much you owe God. That's what Jesus taught about taxes. That's what taxes are really about. It's an opportunity to contemplate how much you really owe God, what you owe God in your life. Or maybe you're facing a loss of love in your life. Is that just an issue? Or is it a time to recognize someone in your life whose love you will never lose? who promises that love will never depart from you. Maybe you're facing a time crunch, and you're like, well, this is just an issue. I just feel overwhelmed because I have so many things to do, and I'm in this time crunch. Do you, do you know that the issue underlying that issue is an issue of prioritizing? Yes, but can you, uh, can you imagine prioritizing by loving the things that he loves i tell you, it simplifies your life, Simplitize, simplifies your prioritizing. If it's about loving the things that he loves, sets up your to-do list very nicely. So whatever it is, you know, a lot of you really want to grow in the Lord. You want to know how you can tell if you're growing in the Lord? Do you feel more cherished by God than you did a year ago? That's real growth in the Lord. So all these things, it comes down to what Jesus is talking about here. So whoever we are, can you imagine, let me just put it to you this way, when you actually meet God, those of you who walk with him, when you meet him, can you imagine this scene that when you the tenor of this scene, when you meet him, and he walks up to you, it's gonna be like God walking up to you and saying, Look, I've made this video. I've been making this video for a long time, and he hands you his DVD and it has a marker writing on it, and it says, The funniest moments of your life. And he hands this to you, it says I've been, for a long time, I've been making this montage of the moments in your life that made me laugh the loudest. Do you want to watch it with me? Can you imagine that meeting with God? Is that the way you imagine God? Okay. Well, how do we get there? How do we get that? Because whether this is something you've never had, or something that you have but you want to you need to renew it you feel like you need to renew it how do you do that because um, I, I don't want to conclude here without bringing us to the point of what we're going to do next and whether that's true of you whether you've never had it you want to have it, or you you have had it and you need to renew it the answer is the same and it's found in verse 33 because when the scribe comes and answers Jesus and gives his answer, he says, yes, Jesus, I see what you're saying. This is true. And this is worth far more than sacrifices and whole burnt offerings. You see that in verse 33? What's he getting at there? He's saying, you know, these sacrifices are the things that we did to try to remove the obstacles to the love with God. We can't have a love with God unless we take care of these things of sin in, in, our, in our world, both sin inside of us and sin against us. These are things that need to be addressed. And he says, you know, these, we did these sacrifices, but it's very wise. He says they, were, they weren't nothing. They weren't nothing, these sacrifices, but they were getting at something beyond themselves. And what they were getting at was this, that what we do cannot make that love with God. The sacrifices and the things that we do can't make the love in the love affair. And the scribes saw this, and Jesus Christ saw that the scribes saw this, which is why he had such commendation for him, that trying to love God can't make the love happen for this is love, not that we loved God, but that he first loved us. So the only way to have lovey-dovey in, the, in this thing with God is when you recognize what he has done for you. When you realize what he's made for you. And that is why Mark spends the rest of the gospel telling us then what Jesus went to do. From this point on, he then gives us the story of Jesus going to the cross, what he did in order to make this covenant, in order to establish the possibility of this love between us. That's the only thing that does it. So if I can call folks up here as we turn to this communion table, what we're going to be doing is reenacting that recent what we do here and the reason why we do it every week is to reenact what God has done for us in order to make this love because that's the only thing so that we wake up and we want to be with God we want to have that fellowship with him we want to find it somehow it's because of reflecting on what he's done for us and realizing he supplies the love in a love affair amen amen